you're listening to the Living Word Church Podcast. To learn more about Living Word Church and our service times, visit us online at livingwordli.org. Today's message comes from our lead pastor, Doug Jansen. A few months ago, I was taking out a tree in my yard, and a chainsaw got into my finger here and took a bit of my finger off that kind of put it all back together. And I kind of found it funny, just recently I was kind of scrolling through Facebook, and this ad came up. You guys can check out the screens here. It says, hit me up for emergency tree removal limbs brush. But look at the name, Doug Jansen. I'm thinking the wrong Doug Jansen tried to take my tree down, you know? And I love how it says uh, removal limbs. Uh, I, I can take care of that myself, so I'm good, right? But a lot of people have been saying things to me since they heard what I did to myself. And they're like, Doug, that's why there are tree guys, right? Like, you would be wise, Doug, to stick to what you're good at and let the tree guys take the trees down. And today, I want to talk with you about some advice we would be wise to listen to. Some advice that we'd be wise to hear as we look at the scriptures and what it has to say. And first service was ready, man. We went for it. So I hope you're ready. And we're looking forward to uh, just learning some stuff today and really applying some things that I think will be challenging and encouraging to us. And so as you know, we've been going through the book of Acts for the last several months, and we've been learning so much. And today we're going to be looking at four questions that kind of come up out of the, the text here. And so everybody, question number one is, what does boldness for the Lord look like? Okay, what is boldness for God, for Jesus? Jesus look like? Maybe you have a certain thought in your head about what it looks like to be bold for the Lord, but today we're going to really see and learn from Paul what boldness looks like. Question number two, and this is so important, what is the heart behind boldness? Sometimes I think that when we think of being bold, we think of like almost this like exasperated, I'm finally done with you, I'm going to be bold and put you in your place. I think even as Christians, sometimes that's our attitudes towards culture. It's like, I'm going to be bold and finally say something and put those people in their place that don't believe in God or, or have this other way of thinking. And, 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 and I just want to let you know that's a very different picture of boldness than what we're going to see Paul live out here in the scriptures. We're going to learn so much from him. Question number three, what lengths will we go to for unity? For unity, right? Like maybe you're here at church and you're like, ah, oh, man, you know, I've been hurt by so-and-so and I don't know if I should keep going. Or I disagreed with somebody's thought. Or I saw what somebody posted on Facebook and they believe very differently politically than I do. So Maybe I just like step away from all this stuff. Maybe I just follow Jesus on my own. Or maybe we fight for unity because God wants to do something incredible through us together. Question number four, what is an effective way to share our faith? This is something probably most of us feel unqualified and underprepared to do. And so today we're going to learn a really practical, hands-on way to know how to share our faith with people as we leave here. Now some of you today are going, Doug, so far all the things that you've brought up have a lot to do with like boldness about sharing my faith and what I believe and, and fighting for unity in the church. Maybe you're here today or watching online saying, I don't even know if I believe in Jesus. I don't know if I believe all this stuff. So what do you got for me? Well, all throughout this, the, the time together today and through the scriptures, we're going to see the amazing love of God for people. Like he loves you so much, right where you are, right what you're going through. And so I pray that you will leave here today knowing the amazing love of Jesus and having a relationship with him. Over the last few months, I can't tell you how many different people have said to me, you know, Doug, I grew up in religion, but now I know Jesus. I grew up knowing about him, but now I know him. And that's just the best thing in the world. So I pray today you'll leave knowing him. Last week we left off with Paul saying goodbye to some friends he'd never see again and getting on a ship and sailing away. And in Acts 21, I'm going to summarize a few verses for you and then we'll dig into uh, some scripture here together. So in the beginning here of Acts 21, we find them sailing to several places, talking with some other friends and saying goodbye. And then they end up at the house of Philip. Everybody say Philip. 
All right, not, I'm just telling you, 930 was so much more ready for that than you guys were. All right, come on, let's go. All right, verse 10. After we had been there in Philip's house, a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt. I want you to picture this. He took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, the Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. So in other words, this guy is having like a prophetic word that Paul is going to be bound up and handed over to the Gentiles. And that's not really the word you want to hear, right? Like when you go to church, you want to hear like, you're going to live a long life. You're going to lead many to Jesus. You're going to be successful in the business place, all that. Like you don't really want to hear you're going to be arrested the next place you go. And so uh, this is when Paul stops, right? This is when Paul finally he's like okay well I'm done if I'm gonna get arrested when I go to Jerusalem I'm not going to Jerusalem and he bought a little uh, condo on a lake right and he got a jet ski and just lived out the rest of his years until he passed naturally right no that's not what he did look at what it says here and this is the question number one what does boldness for the Lord look like guys I'm so challenged by this verse 12 when he excuse me when we heard this so they heard this prophecy that Paul would be taken captive when we so Luke saying when myself and all of our our Christian friends gathered there heard this we and the people pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem if you know you're going to get arrested Paul don't go then Paul answered why are you weeping and breaking my heart i'm ready not only to be bound but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus guys i'm so challenged by that because here is Paul looking in the face of the absolute worst that man can do to you. And he's going, bring it, right? Like, I'm just going to keep going. Like, if you're telling me that I shouldn't go because suffering awaits me, I'm still going to go. I'm going to be bold. I'm going to declare what the Lord has done for me. I'm going to declare that Jesus has changed my life. I'm just going to go. And this tells me something, everybody. If you're a skeptic here in the room and you're not sure about Jesus, this tells me Paul really believed Jesus was alive right? This wasn't like Paul being religious in the first century. If he wasn't convinced Jesus rose back from the dead, why is he going to march into the city of Jerusalem to get taken captive? And so he really believed that Jesus was alive. And that just shows such incredible boldness. Now, I wish I could give you an amazing example right here of my boldness for the Lord. But instead, I will show you this is something that I struggle with, just like you probably do. And there have been times God's put on my heart to be bold for the Lord, and I've been bold. And there's been times that I haven't. I'm going to share with you a time that <clears throat> I wasn't. Just a few weeks ago, I'm in ShopRite, and I'm kind of just making my way through the store. And I see this guy wearing a back brace, and he just looks so uncomfortable and in so much pain. And so my heart began to break for him, and I just began to pray just quietly, not out loud. And I'm just praying for this guy. Lord, just comfort him and heal him and help him to feel better. And I began to just feel like this inner prompting of God in my, my heart, just like, like, go pray for him. Like, don't just pray for him quietly. Like, go, go literally ask him if you can pray for him, you know? And so immediately you come up with the excuses, right? Reasons why you shouldn't do it. And, and to be honest, I had two reasons I didn't want to do it. The first one is I always want to be careful not to be that crazy guy in shop, right? Okay, so that's the first one. Secondly, my wife has been through a lot of physical pain. And sometimes well-meaning strangers say things, and it just actually adds more pain to what you're already going through. And I didn't want to do that to this man. And so those are my kind of objections, all right? So I'm following this guy through. No, I'm not following him through ShopRite. I'm, I'm, I'm walking through ShopRite continually. And we happen to end up at the checkout counter. We're doing our self-checkout right next to each other. And he's with his wife. And I'm still wrestling. And I'm still praying. But I'm like, Lord, can you give me credit for praying quietly here? Because I really don't want to. And then I look up and he's gone. And I'm like, oh, no. 
And then I go out to the parking lot and I see him and his wife walk behind a row of cars, but I don't see which car they go to. And the last thing they need is for him to be jumping on windshields as they're trying to leave, right? Like, can I pray for you? You know, he's going to get into an accident. We're both going to be in back braces, right? And so I missed that opportunity, you know? And even though, okay, I had some valid reasons why, I just think at some point we got to go, Lord, I'm going to be bold. I'm going to be bold. I don't want this person to get upset, but maybe if I ask if I can pray for them, It'll be a great encouragement to them. Maybe they'll get healed and shop right. Maybe they'll put their trust in Jesus, right? And so I'm so challenged by Paul's boldness. What does boldness for the Lord looks like? Paul goes, they can put a chain around me and tie me up and do whatever they will, but I'm gonna keep on speaking about what Jesus has done. And so I think if you're anything like me and you struggle with this a bit, we need to be praying for boldness, that God would give us the strength to say the things we need to say, whether that's in ShopRite or our neighborhood or our workplace or our school. And I'm not allowed to say school for a few weeks, all the kids in the room, but, but right, like wherever that is, that God would use us mightily. What is the heart behind boldness? Question number two. And this is so important. Like if you get the boldness thing right, but you get the heart behind it wrong, you're going to make a mess. Okay. What is the heart behind boldness. Again, I think sometimes we think the heart behind boldness is, I'm going to be bold, right? See how my fist is up, right? I'm going to be bold. I'm going to finally say what I got to say. I'm going to get in that person's face, and they're going to pay for not believing in God, right? For, for not thinking what is true is true and not living the right way. And I and see I'm pointing and I'm shaking, right? Like this is not the heart behind boldness. I love Paul's heart behind boldness. Here's what Paul says. Guys, we got to learn this, okay? Paul goes, I will be bold, and here's what he says, and it will cost me. I'll be bold, and it will cost me. He doesn't say, I'll be bold, and it'll cost them. I'll be bold, and they'll pay. He's saying, I'll be bold, and I'll pay. Now, some of you guys are sitting here going, Doug, i got to be honest. If you're trying to get me to share my faith, this isn't working really well, okay? You're telling it might cost me something, and I'm going to be the one that pays. But here's what I have to think. I have to think, if you're like me, that knowing it will cost me something is actually a really good thing and an important thing. Because if I think that there's this romanticized version of every time I share my faith with somebody and I'm bold for God, that everyone, everything's going to go wonderfully, then I'm going to be very disillusioned when that's not what happens. And I think that's what happened to a lot of us as Christians. We thought we'd share our faith, and we did, and it went horrible. And then all of us said something. You know what we said? I'm never doing that again. I'm never going to do that. Doug can do that. Well, you just heard Doug can't always do that, right? No, we have to still keep sharing our faith. And I think on the front end, if we know this may cost me something, but it might just lead them to Jesus, then it's worth it. And we still do it, right? I don't know about you, but it just helps me to know. Like, I think if I had had that frame of mind going into ShopRite a few weeks ago, I may have said, you know what, this might cost me something, but man, what if God just touches this guy's life and I would have just maybe gone for it? I think about, you know, a friend inviting me to the gym, right? Imagine he invites me to the gym, and I don't know anything about the gym. I'm like, well, what are we going to do? And he goes, well, it's amazing. It's like the lap of luxury. We're going to get there. We're going to sit on these couches. There's a thousand-foot TV screen, and they just keep on bringing Philly cheesesteaks and Slurpees out, and you just eat. And then they bring a blanket. Everyone takes a little nap time, right? And then we go, and I experience gym. I'm out and never going back, right? But if you invite me to the gym and you tell me, Doug, we're going to go to the gym, you're going to work out for about 45 minutes to an hour, you're going to run on a treadmill, you're going to sweat a lot, you're going to pick up heavy stuff and put it back down, and you're going to start to maybe work on some of those love handles and that back fat, Doug, right? Then I know what's coming, and I'll go, and I'll do it, and I'll go back again. 
because I know that it's going to cost me something, but it's going to be worth it. And I think we have to begin to think like this as Christians, right? Not they're going to pay. I'm going to tell them about God. And man, are they going to feel stupid. Man, what a horrible train of thought. We have the hope of the world, right? We got, as we saw last week, we get to share the good news of God's grace with the world. And so the heart behind boldness is they're not going to pay. I might. I might not. I might share my faith, and they're ready, and Jesus just does something crazy. But I might share my faith, and they might make fun of me. I might share my faith, and they may mock me. But that doesn't mean I shouldn't do it. And I'm not going to be disillusioned by it. And I'm going to continue on. And Paul is the perfect example of this. Look at verse 14. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up. The guys, Luke, the gospel of Luke writer, the writer of Acts is saying, we were trying to stop Paul from going and doing this. And we finally gave up. And they said, the Lord's will be done. So they head out for Jerusalem in the next few verses. And then they met with Christians in Jerusalem and told them about the Gentiles coming to know Jesus. And they praised God together. But there's a problem. Everybody say, why has there always got to be a problem? All right, thank you. I know, right? Verse, the next part says, Then they said to Paul, You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed, and all of them are zealous for the law. They've been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. That's not what Paul was doing, okay? And we're going to talk in a few weeks about how sometimes as Christians we're going to be misrepresented. And we're going to talk about how to handle it because we're going to see how Paul handles it, okay? But here is, this is not what, they were, what, what Paul did. He never told them to stop following Moses or to turn against Moses. He just said, hey, Jesus is your Savior. And the things Moses said are really important, but Jesus is your Savior. So he wasn't telling them not to follow Moses. He was just saying, you don't have to become a Jew to become a Christian. He was saying, become a Christian. Become a follower of Jesus. Verse 22, what shall we do? So there's this problem. The Jews are upset with Paul because of these rumors. They will certainly hear that you have come. So do what we tell you. There are four men with us who've made a vow. These men join in their, excuse me, take these men, join in their purification rites and pay their expenses so that they can have their heads shaved. So you guys thought I did this because I was bald. It's purification rites right here, right, everybody? Okay, no, I actually am bald. And you know what kills me are these guys who have a perfect head of hair and still shave their heads. I want to slap these people, okay? I don't know what's going on. But here is Paul encouraging something. Listen, this is so important. You ready? They ask Paul to encourage something and support something very Jewish. And the reason that's so important is because it helps us with question three. How far am I going to go for unity? What lanes will I go to unify the church, right? Paul has no, like, need of doing this. You know, um, he had taken the Nazarite vows already. That's what they're talking about here. And so he had absolutely no reason to do this. But here are the Christians saying, hey, Paul, we really want these Jewish Christians, these new believers to know God. We want this church to be unified. So, Paul, if you would support publicly something very Jewish for us, it would really draw everybody all together. And I just love what it says here. Then everyone will know there's no truth in these reports about you, but that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. Now, don't be confused. It's not saying that we're saved by keeping the law, okay? But we would all agree, I think, that the law is helpful because it's a way of protecting us. Like our laws here today in 2023, they're good laws in that I want to live in a society where it's against the law to murder and to steal. And like that, those are good laws. So none of us are saved by keeping the law. We're saved because Jesus is an amazing, gracious God who died and rose for us. But 
the law and those rules are helpful to protect us from really awful things, right? And so they continue to encourage him to do this. And then uh, let me just summarize another verse. They then talk about how the Gentiles had been willing to be flexible about some things. And so it's this beautiful picture of the Jews and the non-Jews going, what do we have to do to be unified? Like, what, do we, what can we do? How can we limit ourselves? And what can we do to just bring this whole new baby Christian church thing together and be unified? And then it says this, the next day, Paul took the men and purified himself along with them. Then he went to the temple to give notice of the date when the days of purification would end and the offering would be made for each of them. What lengths will we go to for unity? I think we need to go to extreme lengths for unity. Paul did. Jesus did. And guys, this is the Apostle Paul. Everybody say Apostle Paul. This is the Apostle Paul here. He doesn't need to do this, right? He doesn't need to prove anything to anybody. I'm just saying here today, uh, if Paul had decided to give up on Jesus, all right, not one of us would know who Jesus is today because Paul was used so powerfully by God, right? So he's like, you know, if, if you're going to try to, like, have this hierarchy of Christians, like, he's way up here, right? It's like Jesus, then Paul. This guy doesn't need to limit himself in this way, but he does it because he cares about unity. I'm just going to ask you today, is there anything you can do? Is there any way we can limit ourselves so that we can be more unified as the people of God? Did somebody in the church hurt you? By the way, it's bound to happen. I hate it, but it happens. How can we push past that and work it out? Are there people in the church who believe differently politically than you? We still got to come around Jesus. But you didn't see what they posted on Facebook. We still got to come around Jesus, right? And some of you guys are like, yeah, but Doug, if Paul was living in 2023, he would totally be all political and stuff, right? And here's the thing about Paul. Paul lived in a way more politically charged environment than you and I do. In the first century, Rome ruled practically the world. And here is Paul like in the middle of this political tension, it, it would have been so much easier for Paul to get his eyes off Jesus and on politics and try to solve everything politically in his day than it would be in ours. And so if you're here today saying, oh, Paul doesn't get it. He was the first century. Yeah, he gets it way more than you and I do. The, ten, the temptation to put all your trust in politics, right? Man, we've got to put all our trust in Christ got to keep all our eyes on Jesus, right? Because, you know, I'm just so tired of seeing that divide the church. Keep our eyes on the Lord. You can be political. You can have your eye on it, but don't have your eyes on it. You know what I mean? You can have your attention on it, but don't have your hope on it. And we've got to put every person in this room before our politics because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And so keep our eyes on Jesus. That's how Paul did this. He kept his eyes on the Lord instead of a cause or a right. And he was willing to lay down his rights that the church would be united. Is there any way that God wants you to lay down a want, a desire, or a preference for the person across the aisle here today? And what a beautiful thing that is. That's so beautiful in the sight of Jesus. Guys, as parents, don't we love it when our kids get along and are willing to lay down like a real desire? Actually, we did a baptism. Some of you guys are like, why is there a large tank in front of Doug throughout the whole service with no explanation? We did baptisms in the first service, and a brother and sister got baptized. And they're both, uh, I guess, maybe like a preteen and a teen. And so I said to them before the service, I was like, all right, who's going first? And they both pointed at each other, you know, did one of those deals. And then we finally figured it out who was going to do it first. And, you know, just what a blessing to parents' hearts when, when you can have a disagreement. No, I want you to go. No, I want you to go. And it's like, okay, I'll go, right? I'm just telling you, it pleases the heart of the Lord so much 
when you and I can look at a brother or sister and go, okay, I'll go. Okay, I'll lay down my right. Okay, I'll be more respectful. Okay, I'll watch what I post. I'm just telling you, man, what a difference it can make. What lengths do we go to for unity? Extreme lengths. It goes on here. It says, when the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple, and they stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law in this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. Again, all misrepresentation. The next part says in verse 29, they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian in this city with Paul and assumed that Paul brought him into the temple. So they think this guy Trophimus, who's a Greek, Greeks only had access to so much of the temple. And so he's in the wrong spot in the temple and they blame it on Paul. And so they falsely accuse him. Then listen to this, you ready? The people come running in. They drag Paul out of the temple and try to kill him. The Roman commander finds out and brings his crew in and they grab Paul and they stop them from beating him and they arrest Paul and bound him with change, which he knew was coming because the prophecy said it would, right? And then verse 35 says, when Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob, can you picture this with me? The violence of the mob was so great, he had to be carried by the soldiers. Crowds literally trying to tear this man apart. The crowd that followed kept shouting, get rid of him. Get rid of him, which I think is an awful chant. Doesn't that sound so lame? You know, you ever been in a stadium, you know, and somebody starts a chant, and it's like, bro, shut up. That, those words don't mesh well together, you know? Like, let's go mess. That's a much better, oh, that doesn't work either, but, but, <laughs> but I think when we hear about the Greek words spoken here, okay, the words are iro, autos, iro, Autos. Imagine a crowd chanting that as they're trying to rip a human being apart. Guys, some of us, it's like, I'm not going to share my faith anymore because somebody hurt my feelings. And I get it. I'm not going to share my faith anymore because I'm afraid I want to misrepresent God. And here is Paul. And he's been beaten up. He's been bound. And they're literally chanting that they want him gone. And he just keeps on going back to that same crowd. And he doesn't have his fist up in the air and he's not pointing a finger, yelling at them. He just keeps going back with this heart of compassion that they would know the Lord. Verse 37, as the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, may I say something to you? Do you speak Greek? He replied. And then this is what the commander says to Paul, aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the wilderness some time ago? What? <laughs> what? Like, where is it? Like, like I said a, few, a while ago, sometimes we're going to be misrepresented. And we're going to talk about that in a few weeks. What do we do as followers of Jesus when we're misrepresented, when we're just straight up lied about, when there's crazy things said about us that aren't true? I grew up at a great church in Northport called Island Christian Church. And the pastor of that church when I was there was named Pastor Ayers. And there were crazy rumors about this guy. Uh, I'll give you some examples. One day, um, somebody went up to one of our church members and said, is it true that your pastor carries a lead pipe in his pulpit? And if someone in the church gets out of line, he puts them in their place. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, no. And then it went further. This guy goes, is it true that one week while your pastor was preaching, a coyote ran into the, 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 the auditorium and he took out his lead pipe? Like, where do you think we are, Alaska? Like, what? Right? Like, like coyotes, lead pipes, and terrorists out in the Egyptian, right? Like, what? And here's Paul's heart. I, I mean, wouldn't this be enough to just make you go, all right, this is getting ridiculous. I'm done. I'm an Egyptian terrorist, right? Paul keeps going back. 
Look at what it says. Paul answered, I'm a Jew from Tarsus and Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. And look what he says. Please let me speak to the people. I just want to tell them about Jesus. But we just beat you, man. We just picked you up and pulled you to safety, or they were literally going to tear you apart as they chanted against you. And Paul's going, I just want to speak to the people. Man, I just love, A, his boldness, but B, the heart behind his boldness. The next few verses, Paul stands on the steps and he quiets them down and he speaks to them. What is an effective way to share our faith? We've already seen boldness. We've seen the heart behind it. We've seen unity for the church. What is an effective way to share our faith? We're going to fly through this. You ready? Verse 1. Brothers and fathers, Paul says, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of, of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. You ready? Here we go. Verse 4. Let's get real, okay? I persecuted the followers of this way. Now remember, a few weeks ago we learned that the way was what Christians were called before they were called Christians. Followers of the way was, was the name for Christians before we were known as followers of Christ. So followers of the way to their death. So Paul's going, okay, let me tell you who I was. I was the guy who was killing Christians. He says, I was arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify. He says, I even obtained letters from all their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. He's going, let me tell you who I was. Okay, so how do you share your faith? Everybody put up a finger. Number one, you ready? Put up a finger like this. All right, here it is. Let me tell you who I was. Let me tell you who I was. That's the first part of this. There's just two parts. Okay, there's more. I mean, there's, there's lots of ways to share your faith, but this is such an easy way. Let me just tell you who I was. That's what Paul did. I was a murderer. I was killing Christians. I was against Jesus. I was against the followers of the way. Let me tell you who I was. I think some of us have to get over feeling ashamed of who we were because I want to tell you, like, if you could just imagine a nice, perfect black night sky, Right? Like, you and I sharing who we were is that backdrop of that black night sky for those perfect, white, sparkling, shining stars that are going to twinkle in front of that backdrop. And I'm telling you, like, when you start to share who you were, something happens in people. When you just tell them what you know, they often don't care. But when you tell them who you were, and then when we get to step two, Everything changes. Now they're listening. Now they want to know what's going on. And, you know, I think it's so important that you and I say, hey, here's who I was. Here's what I was going through. I was an addict or I was just so angry. I was depressed. I, 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 was, I 100% was against other people of different ethnic groups. I had all these, like, all this trash in my heart. I was so unforgiving. I was, I mean, who were you, right? And maybe you're here going, but Doug, I was like practically born in the back of the church right back there, and I've been coming to church my whole life. I don't really know who I was before I was a follower of Jesus, okay? Just tell them about a time you struggled. Tell them about a time you doubted. Tell them about the time you, you, you really made some bad choices, right? And so Paul gets very real about who he was. And then Paul continues, and he says, all right, and I'm going to summarize a few verses here because we studied all this in Acts 9. Paul just retells the story about when Jesus comes to him, okay? And so he says, Jesus appeared to me. 
He said, why are you persecuting me? And then I was blind, and then I, I was told to go into the city, and somebody prayed for me, and I was healed, and he explained who Jesus was, and I got saved, right? And then it says this, verse 17, when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said, leave Jerusalem immediately because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. So he's given all the reasons why God shouldn't use him. And then in verse 21, the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. What is an effective way to share your faith? Everybody hold that number one finger here. Here's who I was. Now go number two. Here's what God did. Here's who I was. Here's what God did. Here's who I was. Here's what God did. That's what Paul just did. Here's where I was. I was a Christian killer. I was against the people following the way. But here's what God did. He showed up, and I had an experience with him. And he told me to go and preach to them, even though he knew all of my shortcomings. What has God done for you? Has he freed you from addiction? Has he restored your marriage? Has he put the pieces back together after a marriage fell apart in your own life, after a divorce? Has Has he given you hope and joy and strength? Has he healed you? Has he provided for you? What has he done for you? Here's who I was. Here's what God did. That's exactly what we see Paul do here. And it's so powerful. Verse 22. And let me say this, actually, before I jump into that. Some of us are like, but I don't have the big story of like being freed from addiction or God putting my marriage back together. Okay, you know what's just as powerful as that? Ways that God kept you. God kept me from addiction in the first place. God kept my heart from being bitter when I lost a loved one, right? Just as powerful. Here's who I was. Here's what God did. Verse 22, the crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. And then the commander orders him to be taken to the barracks and be flogged. And then Paul goes, hold on, I'm a Roman citizen. I have rights. And he says in verse 30, the commander wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by the Jews. So the next day he released him and ordered the chief priests and all the members of the Sanhedrin to assemble. Then he brought Paul and had him stand before them. And that's the end of chapters 21 and 22. But we saw some powerful things here today, some things that we would be wise to listen to. What does boldness for the Lord look like? Paul looked certain death in the face and said, I'm just going to keep going. And what's the heart behind boldness? It's not an angry fist. It's not they're going to pay. It's I may pay. But if I do, some might know who Jesus is. Guys, let's be bold witnesses, not annoying witnesses, not crazy shop, right? right? Like, but but at the same time, like we got to get to the words, right? I said this last week. Often it's like, oh, I'm going to be a witness by my actions. Great. But eventually we got to tell people about a risen Savior, right? It's all a part of it. And so what lengths will we go to for unity? Extreme lengths. Paul did. Jesus did. We must. We got to lay down our rights. We got to lay down our opinions. And we come around Jesus and we rally around him and, and we see what the Lord can do through us. As a unified church, there's nothing like it. It wasn't an effective way to share our faith. Here's who I was, and here's what God did. If we live this way, this is what our lives will look like. We will stare the most intimidating circumstances in the face and keep going with the hope of Jesus that we carry. We'll have an enduring and loving heart behind our boldness. We will go to extreme lengths for the unity of God's people, and we will share our faith, who I was and what God did. I was with a group of pastors a few weeks ago, and we were talking, what really 
gets Christians like fired up in their faith. Like, what is it, you know? Like, praise God, we have an amazing band that leads us in worship. All of us who preach, we, we really pour our hearts into it. We want it to be something that you can take with you and that we want to be faithful to God's word and you can take it and live it out. But you know what? None of those were the things that us as a groups of, uh, groups of pastors came up with. You know what we came up with? We really believe that the number one thing that fires up people's faith is when, the, when they are in some way a link in the chain of somebody eventually putting their trust in Jesus. Like when that happens, it's just like nothing else. You can hear a great sermon and leave and go, that was awesome, but it's not gonna fire you up like when God uses you as a part of that process of pointing people to him. You can have a great worship experience. You can read your Bible and hear from God, but nothing fires you up like when you go, wow, I was a part of praying for that person. I was a part of sharing my faith. And when I shared my faith, man, they laughed at me. But here we are two years later and somebody else just wrote and said, you know that guy who laughed at you two years ago? He just put his faith in Christ. You go, oh my gosh, I was a part of the chain that God used in pointing that person to Jesus. There's nothing like that. There's nothing like being with a new Christian and hanging out with them and helping them take steps in their faith. It just gets you going. And so church, I think we take this seriously. We'd be bold, but we have that compassionate heart behind that boldness. We come together in unity and we lay down our rights for the sake of others. And man, we tell, the, tell them who we were and what God did. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I'd love for you today to put your trust in him. He loves you so much. I've been saying that throughout this message today. He loves you so much. And he died and rose from the dead. And Paul was convinced of that or he wouldn't have done all the things that he did. And so you can know that Jesus loves you and wants a relationship with you. And if you're doubting a lot of that, I've been a skeptic throughout my life at different times. And I would love to tell you about some of the answers that I found but I'd love to pray with you now. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for Paul, just the amazing example that he is to us, God. And we just pray now for help in all these different areas. And again, I say it every week, but don't tune my voice out. Let's pray together now and let's believe that God's gonna do some things as we pray right now. First off, God, we ask you for boldness, myself included, God, that the next time I see a guy like that in the store, that I would have the boldness to share and to pray with him. Help us, God. God, I pray that the heart behind the boldness would be a beautiful thing, God, that it would be a heart of compassion, a heart that even says, I'll pay. I'll let it cost me something, and I won't get disillusioned. That, God, we would just continue on in love and compassion for people that don't know you. God, I pray that we'd all lay down our rights, Lord, for one another's sake. That as Paul laid down some of his rights that he would win the Jewish believers and he laid down his rights that he would live, win some of the Gentile believers, God, that we would do the same. Help us, Lord, to be unified. Keep our eyes on you more than our causes and our politics and our rights. And lastly, God, I just pray you'd help us in sharing our faith, God, when it comes down to it, that in the moment we'd remember to share who we were and what you did. Thank you, God. We need you. If you're here today and you know Jesus, can I ask you to do something for a minute? Can I ask you to pray for somebody that doesn't know Jesus? Just pray that God would open their heart and that he would do his thing in their life. And if you don't know Jesus and you want a relationship with him today, would you pray with me now? Just say, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross in my place. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your mercy that I'm saved by your grace alone. Thank you for this gift. In your name I pray, amen.